0: Thank you, Boris, and thank you, Adam, as well, uh, for your music today. And this last week uh, was an interesting one in terms of the weather. Anyway, uh, it was an interesting one. It um, you know, was we truly winter across much of uh, this country. Just as the people on the Gulf Coast, coast of Texas, And you know, we uh, had a lot of people that were facing an awful lot of things this week. And here at the church, we had an ice dam that was over uh, Adam's office and my office, which meant that it was pouring water through the ceiling into our offices. And I thought, man, I thought I ordered a hot tub for my office, not a shower. You know, but it just didn't work out that way. But uh, various parts of the country had uh, some, some really challenging times with the weather. And and uh, some, some parts of the country had uh, ice storms. So, picture yourself here. Okay, you are in many places with one of these ice storms, and you're thinking, this isn't a big deal. I need the else. I got a four-wheel drive. (laughs) I got a four-wheel drive truck. So you back out of your driveway to head out where you need to go, and lo and behold, the security camera in the house picks this up. Let's take a look. It's going to give us a second view for some reason, but can you imagine that if you were pulling around the driveway and. And you're sliding down the hill sideways. I mean, that's what you call, or what we're going to call here today, a wilderness experience. Okay? Because it is a challenging time. We all have wilderness experiences. We've got those challenging times, those undesired times that happen in life that, uh, you know, we wish wouldn't happen. Now, that one, I don't know how it wound up. I mean, I hope the guy just simply slid down. I don't know what that would even do to you. Your, uh, you know, your suspension system, your axles, you know, whatever. I have no idea. I, I, I wouldn't want to know. I don't want to find out. But we've all got wilderness times in life, and these are times when we can grow and we can learn the most. And we're that times that necessarily are enjoyable, you know, not necessarily things that we would recommend to somebody. But we can see in the Bible, we can see throughout the Bible, there are various wilderness times that people went through, times that were times of growth, times of testing. The people of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before they were ready to walk into the Promised Land. They just weren't ready for that. They needed some maturing. They needed to learn humility. They needed to learn what it meant to lean into God and truly depend upon the Lord as their God. David, King David, fled into the desert wilderness as he was fleeing from King Saul, who was seeking his life and wanted to kill him. But David, before he would become king, he needed to have this period, this time of maturing, this time of growing out in the desert wilderness. And of course, Jesus went into the wilderness. He went there willingly to uh, be tested, to be tried, to be prepared for his earthly ministry. Well, during the time of Jesus, there were several groups of people, some of which we know from the Scriptures. We know the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but there was a third group of people that really are not mentioned in the New Testament, but they were a group of people that were also very significant, and and one thing that was significant about them was that they intentionally went into the wilderness to seek God, to look for Him, to dedicate themselves to God. Well, the year was 1946, and there was a lone shepherd searching for his lost sheep. And he was searching in this rocky, dry, barren desert wilderness that was by the Dead Sea in Israel. Actually, at that point in time, it was the country of Jordan, but uh, these days it is Israel. And there, there were told that we even take a look at one, one of them right here. Those caves that were uh, in this area that he thought maybe just maybe his sheep had gone into one of these caves. It was very difficult to access these caves, they were very remote. So he took a stone and threw it into the mouth of one of these caves, thinking that it might startle the sheep and cause it to cry out, and he would know that the sheep was in the cave. But instead, when he threw the stone into the cave, There was an unexpected sound, the sound of breaking pottery. So he made his way to the cave, went inside, and what lay inside was a marvelous discovery, a marvelous treasure, something that was a delight to many scholars throughout the world. What was inside was what is now known as the Dead Sea Cross. In cave after cave, were discovered these jars that were filled with these ancient manuscripts, these ancient scrolls that contained the writings from Scripture, you know, the writings of Isaiah, the writings of, you know, the Old Testament, as well as the writings of these people who placed these scrolls with, these people who were called the Essenes, a name that means holy one. They carefully and painstakingly copied each one of these scrolls and placed them in these zones that were not found until, well, thousands of years later. So we're beginning this weekend, hopefully the uh, sermon series technically begins on last Wednesday, but we're beginning of this sermon series that is based on a study that's done by Ray Vanderlein, who's a scholar who, uh, an excellent teacher, uh, who uh, has become, I think, very popular around these books. And uh, it's something that I've asked uh, Greg Anderson to also teach on Sunday morning. So if you want to go deeper with this, you can come to that class on Sunday mornings. But what it is, is, is an opportunity get, to get into the backstory behind the, the path of Jesus that went to the cross. And you know, by doing this, we can examine and uh, take a look at, at these people of faith and see maybe uh, a way for our own path our own here so that we can enrich uh, in, in our own faith during this, this time of life. Well these people that um, we're focusing on today that are called the Essenes or the Holy One were people who do set the stage for us. Even though they're not mentioned in the New Testament, we can see bits and pieces of various parts of the New Testament and the characters of the New Testament that can be resonating with the Essenes and what they taught and who they were. So these people uh, called the Essenes fled to the wilderness, this inhospitable place that was so difficult to live in. They fled to that place to dedicate themselves to God and to His Word, to reading His Word, to living His Word, and painstakingly covering His Word to preserve it and make it more readily available for others to Now, it's one thing to try to deal with a challenging time that you did not do. There was trust upon you. There was a surprise, like that guy going down that hill on the edge. But these people thought the wilderness. That's what it wanted to be. They wanted to go there. They wanted to live life there. Well, this group went there in reaction to some things that were taking place in the Jewish religious establishment in Jerusalem. At the time that they did that, which was several hundred years before Christ when they first went into there, there was um, this conflict between, you know, this worldliness of the Greek influences and the, uh, the Jewish religion and seeking God. And there was this compromise that was going on to the extent that that, uh, that led to this, this final throw that broke the camel's back for these faithful priests. When this man by the name of Jason paid money to buy uh, the opportunity, in other words, he bribed uh, the ruling uh, people in the land so that he might be named the high priest. And he himself was one up when somebody along uh, came along after him and paid even more money so that he lost the high priesthood to this other person because that person paid money for it, that the, the, the uh, religious establishment was viewed as totally corrupt by the faithful priests, so they decided, we're going to go out into the wilderness, and we're going to seek God, because this is not the place to do it right here. It's just not going to happen. So they went out into the desert wilderness, and there by the Dead Sea, which is about 20 miles away from Jerusalem, and there they set God. Now, when Linda and I were in Israel, we visited the site that the Essenes called home. So, matter of fact, if we show that cave again, that was actually a picture that I took while I was there. Okay, this this is this is that that area there. So we show that that picture of that cave again. There, we can we can see that. Go back there. Okay. So this is standing there in this community uh, where the Essenes would have lived, and then they would go up into the hillside. They would dig out these the caves. And they would put their, uh, their scrolls and store them in these caves. It was nice and cool, a great place to, to store these these scrolls. But uh, here in this desert wilderness, you can see—I mean, how in the world do you grow anything in that? How, how do you how do you eat out some kind of a living there? How do you even find water out in this place? And yet, if they're gonna if they're gonna live out there, they would have to do all of those things. There. In, the community was called Qumran and there in Qumran you can go today or you can stand in the very places, remnants anyway, of the, of the places where they made the pottery, where they copied the scrolls. But what is most distinctive about this are these deep pools which today, because this is such a dry place, you have no water in them but, you, but steps that go down into these pools that were called mikvahs. And the mitzvah were the baptismal pools. Because what they believed was that, you know, like length of the time, we Christians view as a time of repentance, for the see all of life was a time of repentance. So that all of life, every day was a time to turn back to God. Every day was a time to examine myself internally and say, where have I gotten off the path? of following God and turn back to God. And then they would they, then they would go into these pools where they would walk as, a, as an external sign of what had already taken place internally, that they had repented and turned back to God. They was practicing this see out there in the wilderness. And one thing, you know, years ago, I used to lead um, youth groups into the Boundary Waters wilderness up in, in northern Minnesota, which was, by the way, totally opposite from what you would see here, uh, because there was tons of water in the Boundary Waters wilderness. There's almost no water here in this in this Qumran wilderness. But in the Boundary Waters wilderness, whatever that wilderness might be, if it's literal cigarettes figurative, or Minnesota, or Israel, you know, you can see certain commonalities between wilderness places, things, things like this. How do you know that you are in the wilderness? Well, first of all, you can know that you are in a wilderness when you realize that there is no 7-Eleven. That's one clue, okay, that you are in a wilderness. These people had no conveniences. These machines had no conveniences. If they were going to eat it, they had to grow it. If they were going to grow it or if they were going to fill those mitzvahs with water, they had to somehow find water. It wasn't readily available. They had to build these, these these crops that would capture every drop of water that would fall. And there, you know, in come, come Qumran, not only did they have these mitzvahs, but they also had these huge vaults, like this one was about 20 feet deep, where they would store the water so that they could have it readily available to be able to be used in the mitzvah and to be able to raise the crops and water their animals and for people to drink. So they built a robbery it's the cost of landing Because there was no signal <laughs> There was no convenience to, to go to. Secondly, you know that you're in a wilderness when your phone reception is terrible. There is no phone reception in the boundary line. There isn't any. They, and, and here, from the seems they were living in complete isolation. Of course, they had no cell phones we're still living in complete isolation. They had to figure out a way to live in that kind of isolation. And the most important communication that you and I can have when we are experiencing our own wilderness is the communication that we have with God. The prayer came with prayer. that even if your cell phone doesn't work, God does. Prayer does. God is there and He hears you. Speak with it. Then if, if you, you can know if you are in a wilderness, if you see this, if you understand this, if you understand that the wildlife looks hungry, then you are in a wilderness. There is and wolves were a reality in the Boundary Waters wilderness. So much so that at night we would have to make sure that we would take our packs that were filled with food and put a rope on them and swing a rope over a, a branch and haul them up so that they were dangling in space, you know, so that the animals couldn't get to them. Well, the Essenes were living in an inhospitable place where there were scorpions and snakes and wild animals that were a threat to their life, not to mention the the hostile weather and environment otherwise that they might be facing. This is a dangerous place. And when we're in a wilderness, oftentimes the one of the things that stand out about that wilderness is that it's a scary place? It's a threatening place. So how in the world do you live in such a place? Why would somebody seek out such a place? But the opinion, all we can see here is that this is the reason why they did this. It's because they went there to prepare the way for the Lord. They willingly gave up the comforts of Jerusalem because these were the priests in Jerusalem. They lived fairly comfortably. They, just, they willingly gave up the comforts of Jerusalem to go out into the wilderness for this very reason, to prepare the way for the Lord. Why did they do that? Well, in the very They believed that if they went out there and prepared the way for the Lord, then what they would be doing is preparing the way for the Messiah to come who would change things in their world. He would transform things. Yes, you know, the people in Jerusalem are totally corrupt. But when the Messiah comes, he can change things. So they went out there in the wilderness to read God's word. And to try to figure out what it is that the Lord wanted from them, right? it's like the Gospel that we just read a little while ago where the people are asking Jesus, what is, what is the work that the Lord requires? That's what we're trying to figure out. And so, sometimes they came up with some pretty bizarre things, pretty bizarre ways of doing this. Take, take the Sabbath of, of Israel, for example, you know, and even today, if you go to Israel, uh, one thing, you know, we're saying in this kind of nice hotel at one point, and. And in this hotel, I think there was probably about five or six different elevators, but they had one elevator on the Sabbath that was designated as the Sabbath elevator. And what that was was an elevator that would stop on every single floor, to, so that if you were an Orthodox community, you could go on this elevator you wouldn't violate the Sabbath by doing any work such as lifting your finger and pushing a button, you know, to be able to get you to the floor that you wanted to go to. Because this thing would go to every floor. Or later, it's going to go to the floor you want to go. You go to. Okay, that was that was a Sabbath elevator. Well, a similar kind of a thing here with the Essenes. They wanted to do the worst that God required them to do. So, you know, let's take the Sabbath to an extreme here. And, in, you know, in that kind of inhospitable place, all right, not only did they not have a 7-11 and everything else, they didn't have bathrooms either. So what they would have to do is if they had to go, you know, with, that they would dig a hole, and they'd do their business, and double it in. Well, the problem is digging a hole Costs, you know, it, it takes work. So they said, okay, all right, you know, if you're going to do the work the Lord requires, that means that you, if you have to go on the Sabbath, you've got to hold it. Okay, you gotta hold it. I'll, you know this might qualify as too much information here for this, but you gotta hold it. You know, until the next day. Uh, you know, no, I'm not advocating that, but what that is an example of is that these were people who were willing to engage in extreme measures to be able to find extreme faith and follow the Lord. They try to live out what it said there in the Book of Isaiah. Now, the passage that we read earlier, the thing that stands out to me there, is that Isaiah is describing really what that desert became for them. The place that was flowering in the desert. The place that was preparing for the Lord. And here in Isaiah 40, it says this, A voice of one calling in the desert, in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord! make straight to the wilderness a highway for our God. They were out there in the wilderness to do something. To do something about the fallenness of their world by preparing the way for the Messiah to come. This would happen by devoting themselves to God's Word, to turning back to Him, to repenting, to make, making a people, even if it's just a remnant, just a people, who are after God's own heart, so that maybe, just maybe, just like with Sodom, if there's even a handful of people who are seeking after God, that maybe God might save the city. God might save the city because of that. because of this faithful few. Says there in Isaiah, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, the mountains even and rock to God, The way will be prepared for the Messiah to come. And the glory of the Lord, as they will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the world has spoken. And the experience lasted only a little while longer after Jesus. But in this time, to the end of this time, the Messiah came. The Messiah did Maybe their dedication to God, maybe is is that one reason, I don't know, but is that one reason why God chose that time for Jesus to come? What if Jesus' second time is waiting to happen until the people, even just a random with such extreme faith that the mountains were made low and the valley were raised up and it became a highway for God. But instead of taking your fist at your difficulties, at your wilderness, can you use that wilderness instead as a time to more faithfully discover dependency on Jesus, to discover this faith That's after God's own The Athenians gave up a ton, a ton to be out there in their wilderness. And during Lent, a lot of times, a lot of us, you know, look at giving up something. The question is, what are you willing to give up to find that extreme faith in Jesus? How are you willing to alter your path to make a highway for your God? Let's pray about that. Please stand.